Chapter 11. Building the firm's brand versus building your personal brand. This is a question we often get from VCs. Now, both avenues offer distinct advantages and require careful consideration. When we're building the firm's brand, there's strength and unity. There's a well-established brand that everybody sits behind, similar to, say, what you'd find with Benchmark. Uh, the brand represents the collective expertise, credibility, and track record of the entire team. And therefore, when people come into that organization from outside, there's the expectation or the halo effect from potential portfolio founders, uh, LPs, and so on, that they will be of a certain caliber. Uh, brand consistency is absolutely key in terms of messaging. Um, you know, that consistency is essential for reinforcing the firm's mission, values, and approach. Um, that consistency is essential for fostering trust and clarity, making it easier to communicate the firm's unique value proposition. Now, on the other hand, when we talk cultivating personal brands, we're talking about making people thought leaders. You know, your partners or associates or principals can essentially enhance their standing in the market by publishing thought leadership. And this is going to prompt high quality founders to want to work with them. For example, nowadays, with all of the content that people like Jason Calacanis or Harry Stebbings or Mark Andreessen or Andrew Chen have put into the world, more founders are familiar with these guys and the best founders want to work with them. So that's one thing you'll want to think about. And on a personal level, if you have that personal brand and you change firms, um, then that brand comes with you and it is an asset to other firms and can help you in your career trajectory. Building your personal brand is also really helpful when it comes to relationship building, when it comes to getting meetings with prospective LPs or portfolio founders, um, when it comes to getting airplay in the media, or when it comes to being invited to speak at various conferences. So this can be particularly advantageous when it comes to early stage venture capital. Essentially, though, you'll want to strike a balance between both building the firm's brand and building the brand of individuals at the firm. Chapter 12, FAQ. So how much should you spend on content marketing? Content will help your firm generate returns up to a point. But once your visibility and brand are at 100, more podcast episodes won't get you to 110. You've got to balance the firm's existing brand and online footprint with its fund size, target audience, goals, and long-term vision. Now, while there are no hard and fast rules, the following should serve as a starting point to work from, depending on the size of your fund. Now, if your fund is under $50 million, US dollars that is, allocating around 10% of your management fee annually during the capital allocation period of, say, two to three years, is a good baseline. This might translate to about 60,000 US dollars per year for a $30 million fund. The percentage allows smaller funds to establish a decent online presence without straining resources. Now, if your fund size is between 50 million to 100 million US dollars, you can start to taper your content marketing investment relative to that management fee. So what do I mean? Essentially allocating five to 8% of the annual management fee during the capital allocation period is typically sufficient if paired with, a, with an effective data and iteration driven content marketing strategy. Now, if you are a $75 million fund, allocating 8% of a standard 2% management fee translates to $120,000 spent per year 
during the capital allocation period on content. Now, larger funds have the liberty of spending more on no stones unturned content marketing campaigns, establishing a presence across all mediums, audio, video, written content, and investing in well-researched founder and investor-centric white papers and educational resources. Now, funds above $100 million, I'd say a range of 3 to 5% of the management fee should suffice. Of course, if you're a billion-dollar fund, that percentage is going to come way down because we're not going to be spending 30 to $50 million a year on content. Now, these larger funds usually have well-established brands, in-house talent, and a network that supports deal flow efforts. For example, London's Index Ventures, which is arguably the UK and Europe's most successful venture fund, they have 11.7 billion euros in total assets. Now, when we look at their website, these guys produce so much content. We're talking various video series, podcasts, we're talking reports, resources for founders. Index Ventures generates so much content that in October of 2023, their website drew over 180,000 monthly visitors, putting them inside the top five venture firms in the world for website traffic. Now, if you're a $300 million fund, investing 3% of your annual management fee over a capital deployment period of three years, that's 180K a year, which essentially is a small drop in the ocean uh, considering the management fee on a $300 million fund would typically be $6 million a year. Now, post the capital allocation or deployment period, you should still invest in content but perhaps not as much. Um, it again, depends on what your goals are. If you're planning to raise another fund, a larger fund, then you might want to actually up the ante, um, particularly if you want to build more relationships and build those LP pipelines. Um, it's important to continue to put out content, quality content on a consistent basis to signal to the market you're standing. Of course, if you plan on no longer raising any more funds and shutting up shop, and perhaps just waiting out the investment period, then you may not want to invest in content as much and just continue to put out correspondence for your uh, existing LPs as part of your reporting efforts. Now, do you wanna do all of this in-house or do you wanna use external support such as perhaps our team here at Sonic Boom? Well, large VC funds often have the luxury of both in-house and external talent to handle content marketing. They employ full-time content professionals, engage freelancers, and partner with agencies. This approach allows them to adapt quickly to changing demands and produce high-quality content fast. Conversely, smaller funds may lack the resources or expertise to handle content marketing in-house. Usually, they might have a team of two to four people who are basically neck deep in their existing work as partners at a VC firm, doing DD, meeting startups, going to conferences, all that good stuff. Thus, they must collaborate with external partners, such as content agencies and freelancers, in order to maintain a consistent, high-quality, high-output content strategy. The right investment strategy for a VC firm essentially depends on its size, objectives, and stage of development. Now, it's critical to remember that content is not an expense. It is an investment. For every 10 to 20 bets a firm makes, there's the expectation, nay, the hope, that one bet will generate outsized returns. 
cover losses and hit those target returns for investors. Y Combinator, the world's most iconic startup incubator, has incubated over 4,000 companies since 2005. Yet, about 200 of these companies, or 5%, represent its top companies, the unicorns and near unicorns that generate most of its returns. But get this, if you removed just three companies from these top graduates, from this list of 200, Airbnb, DoorDash, and Stripe, more than half of those returns would be wiped out. That's the enormous cost of missing out. It's estimated that the top 2 to 5% of venture firms capture 95% of returns globally. In fact, 50% of venture returns don't generate 1x their investors' money. That is, they don't return their investors' money. And the average return across the entire venture ecosystem for the 10 years to 2023 was less than the NASDAQ composite of 12%. It was 11.8% in fact. So unless you're a top quartile fund, you're going to struggle to hit those 3x returns that most LPs expect. And if you don't hit returns, you're going to struggle to follow up with another fundraise. So this is why it's critical that we invest in content. For example, the ROI on content. Let's say you run a $20 million seed fund. You run a content strategy that generates one inbound deal. The pre-money valuation on this deal was $9 million and your investment was $1 million for a post-money stake of 10%. Now this startup grows 10x over five years before being acquired. Assuming no dilution, your $1 million investment is worth $10 million at exit and your firm's carry is worth $2 million. Now say you spent $200,000 over the capital deployment period you got a 10x return on your investment. Therefore, content is definitely an investment, not an expense, but it needs to be done right. And unlike other forms of networking and relationship building and brand building, such as attending conferences or paying for ads, content is enduring. It's not just one and done, it will compound the effort you put in will compound and accumulate the more you do it. The more compelling content you publish, the more you get elevated by algorithms and your growing audience, effectively creating a virtuous loop. The greater your online visibility, the stronger your brand, and the more quality inbound deal flow you'll generate. So how much time should you be spending on content? Well, again, it depends on whether you're doing it all yourself, using agencies or freelancers. If you were to use an agency like Sonic Boom, your workload could be kept to a minimum, say one hour per month, excluding any content creation activities such as podcasting or recording videos. Of course, if you're doing it all yourself, it could take you an order of magnitude longer and the results may not be what you're looking for. Next, we're gonna dive into a bonus chapter on PR and media syndication.